Welcome to part seven of our Unstuck Sermon series. And we've been looking at the struggle between the flesh and the spirit as found in uh, Galatians chapter five. Let's read our passages out loud together. Uh, read with me. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And Paul describes the the tension, the opposition, the conflict that exists in the life of a believer because we're born physically and we have flesh. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, we're reborn spiritually. And so we have a spiritual aspect to us. And the flesh and the Spirit are contrary to one another. There's a tension that's going on. And it's important to understand that tension because the acts of the flesh are so devastating. Let's read about those. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You were meant for, made for, saved for more than the acts of the flesh. That's not how God wants you to live. You were meant for, made for, saved for the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's what we're talking about today. We're we're talking about in this series that, that when you yield to the flesh, you commit the acts of the flesh. When you yield to the Spirit, you bear the fruit of the Spirit. And today we're talking about uh, bearing the fruit of faithfulness. Faithfulness is effective faith that bears fruit. So on your notes, how can we know our faith is effective? Well, first, effective faith depends on God. It says, one day the apostles said to the Lord, we need more faith. Tell us how to get it. And in the context of that passage there in Luke 17, let's let's look at what Jesus said that prompted these guys to ask for more faith. Since Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. It says the acts of the flesh are going to come into our lives. But you don't want to be the one that brings them in. You don't want to be the one who's causing people to stumble in sin, especially kids. Because it would be better for you to drown in the sea than be the one who causes people to sin. Is that how seriously you view your sin? Because that's how seriously Jesus views it. Jesus calls us to radical righteousness. Then he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. 
Jesus calls us to, to rebuke one another when we sin, to repent when we sin. He calls us to forgive one another when we repent. He calls us to radical forgiveness. And the disciples hear this call to radical righteousness and radical forgiveness and their plea to Jesus is, Lord, increase our faith. We don't have enough faith in ourselves to live like this. It's interesting, Jesus didn't immediately answer their plea for more faith because the amount of faith is not as important as its genuineness. Because what is faith? Faith is total dependence on God and a willingness to do His will. Faith is a complete and humble obedience to God's will. Faith is a readiness to do whatever God calls you to do. And the amount of faith isn't as important as the object of the faith. Yet you can have a lot of faith. You can have strong, strong faith. But if it's misplaced in the wrong person or the wrong thing or the wrong view of God, it's not effective. Faith is only as effective as the person or thing or the view of God that the faith is placed in. If you're driving down the road and you come to a rickety old bridge, it's not the strength of your faith that matters. It's the strength of the bridge. Okay? Strong faith in a weak bridge will put you in the water. Strong faith in a false view of God will put you in hell. If you put your faith in your own works, if you put your faith in another person, if you put your faith in in false doctrine or a false God, no matter how much faith you have, it will not be effective. Because effective faith is not just faith in faith. Effective faith is faith in God. You've got to put it in the right place. And so the disciples were asking for more faith, but effective faith is more about life than size. Jesus says, if your faith were only the size of a mustard seed, Jesus answered, it would be large enough to uproot that mulberry tree over there and send it hurtling into the sea. You know, a mustard seed is small, but it is alive and growing. A small amount of effective faith in God, it'll take root. It'll take root and grow. and It'll begin to grow under the ground as root, and then it grows visibly above ground as growth, and eventually, effective faith bears fruit. Faithfulness is fruitfulness. Jesus says, you don't need more faith. A tiny bit of faith is effective if it's obedient to God. Because effective faith rests on what Christ has done, not on what we've done. What you do has to flow out of your faith in what Christ has done. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of the flesh. It's it's a fruit of the Spirit. Romans 5.1. So now, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith in His promises. Circle that phrase. Faith in His promises. Not our performance. We can have real peace with Him because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Our relationship with God begins with faith. Faith helps us realize that, that we are delivered from our past by Christ's death. We can be delivered from the acts of the flesh by our faith in Christ. We can bear the fruit of the Spirit by our faith in Christ. Effective faith rests on what Christ has done, not on what, not on what we do. Next, effective faith grows under pressure. 
grows under pressure. Those whose faith has made them good in God's sight must live by faith, trusting him in everything. Otherwise, if they shrink back, God will have no pleasure in them. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews encourages believers to persevere in their Christian faith, even when they're facing persecution and and pressure. And we often don't don't think of persecution, pressure, suffering. We don't think of those as being good things. But but they build our character. They they grow our faith. It's during great times of stress that, that we see God's faithfulness in ways we never would have. It's in times of pressure and and persecution that we see the church, other Christians, rise up, step up, and and, and respond in faith that we'd never see it otherwise. Knowing that Christ is is, uh, in in the fellowship of suffering with us, knowing we can recognize he is present uh, with us in those times, and he offers us a future without pain, without suffering, that, that, that increases our faith. And then effective faith becomes stronger through endurance. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. And Paul just encourages us as believers to to have endurance, to persevere, not to abandon our faith in times of difficulty, but, but to persevere and demonstrate that our faith is real. Faith means resting in what Christ has done in the past. It means recognizing what he's doing for us in in the present. And and it means that we're looking forward to what he's going to do for us in the future. That's effective faith. Now, I want to illustrate these principles today through through a a couple of videos and a project that we've been doing here at Rockbrook. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is a Christian organization. They're headquartered in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. But they actually work with the persecuted church around the world. And every year they sponsor a day of prayer for the persecuted church, first Sunday in November, that's today. And every year they create a video that tells a story of persecution. We've showed some of their videos in the past. But this year, the the video features the story of a young evangelist in North India. And and I, I love the video this year because it features North India. Because uh, that, it's going to give you an opportunity to see what I see when I go over there. For, you know, this is the country, these are the people, this is the culture that we have been working in for the past seven years. Every six months I go to India and do training for, for people just like the guy in this video. And so I'm glad you get to see this. And Voice of the Martyrs is one of the ministry partners in our network. Uh, they supply Bibles and other resources for the, the pastors and evangelists that we're training. I've taken equipment supplies over for VOM, and they're great people, a great ministry partner. And I love the video because it highlights the type of pastor, the type of guy that we're training in Uttar Pradesh. I mean, I don't know this guy personally, but I, I know dozens of guys just like him. Uh, when I was in India in September, I did a training conference for, for 60 guys. And, uh, and out of those 60, 44 of them, 44 were village pastors, and 16 of them were evangelists. And so when you see the story in the video, you're seeing their story. Because Suta's story is not powerful because it's exceptional. It, Suta's story is powerful because it's common. It's common. Uh, the video has a deeper personal connection for us because when they, when they shoot these videos, they can't actually go to the location where the persecution has happened. It's just too risky. 
And so they discover the story, they write up the story, and then they find a safer place to go, disconnected from the story, where they can shoot the video. And so they ask Alok, the guy who was here just a month or so ago, many of you know Alok, and uh, they said, do you know a place where we could shoot the video? And Alok lives in the city, but he grew up in a village, and he says, you know, you could shoot it in my home village. And so we actually get to see the videos shot in uh, Alok's hometown, and uh, and. Uh, some of the people, in fact, I, I think I recognize his father as one of the extras in the video. So let's watch Suda's story. Suda said, if I didn't come, who would tell you about Jesus? And it says he's showing up at the village uh, every four days. Uh, why is that? Well, these guys establish a circuit of villages. The other three days, he's preaching the gospel in other villages. And they travel, uh, they just start walking the circuit looking for opportunities to share the gospel. If they can get a bicycle, they can cover more ground. If they can get a motorcycle, they can cover more ground. We have one guy, Harinder, who has a motorcycle and has 75 villages that he visits and that he's planted churches in. Uh, They're young guys, most of them are in their late teens, early 20s. They have minimal training, that's why they're so hungry for uh, the training that we provide. And we've trained hundreds of, of pastors and evangelists over the last seven years. Uh, Last February, I did a conference, and the material was Lessons on Leadership from Nehemiah. And uh, we actually, Rockbrook supports 10 zone leaders. These are the zone leaders, and and, uh, we support these guys, and and they do training and administrative work for us over there. And uh, when I was done with the Nehemiah material, Camel, uh, he's the guy in the back row, third from the left, uh, Camel uh, said, I want to take this material and I want to teach it to 150 people in my zone in six weeks. And I said, that's exactly, that's exactly what we want you to do with this stuff. And so when I went back in September, I remember that, and I said, Camel, how was your training go? Did you get 150 people? He goes, no, we didn't get 150. We had 450. And as a result of that training that group of people, uh, they had a, a team that decided they wanted to apply the principles from Nehemiah to plant a church in an unreached people group. So there was a village with 600 uh, Banjara people in it. The Banjara are nomadic, gypsy-type people. They don't own property, and they have no believer, no Bible, no church. And so Camel's group took the principles from the Nehemiah lessons, how to pray, how to plan, how to organize, how to motivate, how to handle opposition, how to handle conflict, how to resist temptation, how to maintain your success. They took the material that we taught them and used it as a model for this, this project. Uh, 600 people in the village, 125 families, and uh, so far they've reached 150 people for Jesus Christ in that village. So one-fourth of the village uh, are now believers, and they're in the church. I mean, that's the power of one leader applying uh, these principles. So that's why Alok and I decided we, we've got to get this material into a video format. We've got to pick up the pace on how we train these guys. Conferences are great, but we're doing it 60 to 100 guys at a time. We've got to multiply the trainers and, and increase uh, the effort. And so I came back from February determined to get an English version of the training material onto video. And what I really wanted to do was to get a Hindi version uh, using the zone leaders as the presenters. And so I came back, did a little research, found out it was going to cost $40,000 for us uh, to do this and produce all, all the DVDs. And so I approached the staff and the directors and asked what they thought. And they said, well, that sounds like a God-sized goal. Uh, let's do it. So um, we stepped out in faith, and I told you we wanted to do it. And in May, I went out to uh, Pastor Rick Warren's studio in California, and in one day shot 11 30-minute videos, did the whole Nehemiah material. 
and the production team has been editing those and gotten them ready, and we finally have the master from that. So here's a video clip of the English version. Welcome to Nehemiah Lessons on Leadership, Part 1. This session is Discovering Your Full Potential. Our scripture passage is Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. In this DVD series on the book of Nehemiah, we're going to be looking at lessons on leadership. The book of Nehemiah is going to be our textbook on how to be an effective leader. We begin in this session with the six laws of leadership. The first law of leadership is nothing happens until someone starts leading. It is a law of life that nothing happens until someone starts leading. So that's the English. Yeah, hold your applause here. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. Uh, I, I appreciate your enthusiasm. I really do. Uh, in September, I went over to India, did two more conferences, and then I spent two days with the zone leaders uh, shooting video of them presenting the material in Hindi. Didn't have professional equipment, didn't have a studio like I had in California. We just set it up in a bedroom in a Lokes house. And we, we picked the bedroom because it had an air conditioner in there that could, could chill the room to 90 degrees. And um, we, we set up an audio recorder. You can see it on the table there in front of the speaker. We had two cameras, a straight on and then a side angle. And we created a homemade uh, teleprompter out of a computer screen. And the, the plan was to turn on the audio recorder, turn on both cameras, and then just let them run through the segment. Uh, that way we could sync it all up and edit it when we brought it back, not have a bunch of fragments that we had to try and, try and put together. So that was the idea, that we were going to just turn everything on and, and let it run. Well, I brought that stuff back, and, and uh, Andrew, uh, Walter, and Alok was here, and they were editing this stuff. Did a great job, worked for days on this thing. But this week, we actually finished editing the Hindi DVD masters, and we shipped them off to India. In fact, they're on a UPS plane right now headed to Delhi. I've been tracking them all the, all the way. And the plan is to produce, uh, we've got a student book, an English student book, and a Hindi version. We're going to produce 500 English uh, sets and 2,000 Hindi sets, and then we're going to distribute them at the conference in December. I mean, if one guy can reach... Uh, 150 people, uh, imagine what 2,500 guys can do if we can get them the material. And the good news is, is we came in under budget. Uh, we budgeted uh, 40000 we came in uh, $4,000 under budget. I'm not asking you for money today. In fact, you've already given the money that we need. Uh, we did calculated it this week, and we were $238 short of what, we, what it cost us to do it. So the money thing's taken care of. Uh, we're, we're excited about that. Uh, now, the next step is, is we'd like to do more. We'd like to do more training material. I would love to get all the training material onto video in Hindi. Why? Well, the parable of the talents, uh, Jesus tell, tells a story of a master who gives three of his servants uh, a certain amount of money. And his expectation is, is that they're going to turn it into more. And so two of the servants are productive with what he's given them. And, and he comes back and they present him the increase. And he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Because faithfulness is fruitfulness. And one of the servants took what he gave him and just squirreled it away in the yard. And just gave it back to him. No increase. No fruitfulness. And the master said, you wicked, lazy servant. 
two totally different responses. As a believer, you and I have been giving some, given something valuable by God. We have been given the gospel. And God expects a return on his investment. And so for me, I'm, I'm not going to squander my faith. I'm not going to let the acts of the flesh infect and affect my life. I, I want my faith to take root and grow and bear fruit. I, I'm not going to squander my spouse's faith. I, I'm not going to let the acts of the flesh diminish or destroy my marriage. I'm not going to squander my kids' faith. I'm not going to let the acts of the flesh invade my kids' lives. I will do whatever it takes to help them grow to spiritual maturity and be fruitful. God has given me, God has given each of you a a great personal opportunity through saving me through Christ's work on the cross and giving me the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, giving me the fruit of of faithfulness. I don't want to squander the opportunities that God has given me. I want to be as productive as possible. Now, in in 1993, I was given a body of information about the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. God used Rick Warren and the Purpose Driven Church uh, in a mighty way to teach me about God's purpose for my life, God's purpose for your life, God's purpose for the church. God entrusted me with that knowledge as his servant. I am a steward of that information, and I am not going to squander that information. And in fact, I came back uh, from the conference, and I started passing that information on to other people. And I got 14 people to go out to the, to the church conference with me, and we came back, and we started Rockbrook Church. And now 18 years later, we got about 1,400 people who are here at Rockbrook, who are pursuing and who are uh, plugged into God's purposes. And now we have an opportunity in North India to distribute this information to a network of 14,000 pastors who have the potential to reach 14 million people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to be part of that? Man, I do. I mean, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I I use number 14 in there because it fits in most cases, but this isn't about math. This this is about uh, one man, one message, one response to a master. This is about mass. It's about movement. It's about momentum. It's about you. It's about you. One man, one woman, obeying one master, living out one message, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God's calling us to do when he calls us to live out the gift of faithfulness. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for what Christ has done for us. We thank you for the new life that we can find in him. We thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. And God, I would pray you'd help each one of us to to make the decision to crucify the flesh and to walk in step with the Spirit so we can bear fruit. God, we thank you for Suda and for the ministry in North India, whether it's him or through any of these guys who are stepping out and being willing to, 
suffer the persecution, being willing to endure. God, they're being faithful and they're being fruitful. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be the wind in their sails, to be the encouragement, to be praying for them. Suda said, without prayer, I'm nothing. So God, we just pray for him. And we pray for all those guys. We pray for persecuted Christians wherever they are. And God, we pray for those who persecute. That you would move into their hearts and minds, you would remove the scales from their eyes, that you would take them from from living out the dead acts of the flesh and that you would breathe into them your spirit and a new life in Christ. And that the body of Christ, the church, would grow and flourish. God, it's our desire that we be obedient, that we be fruitful. And we thank you for the promise that one day you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.